October 31st, 1517, 500 years ago this month, a German monk named Martin Luther challenged the church to which he belonged. He saw abuses. He saw the church selling forgiveness to raise money. He saw the church tradition and the church government saying that it needed to interpret Scripture for its people rather than allowing Scripture to stand over against the church. And so he protested. He was not the first. He followed a a long line of faithful people, some who lost their lives. But he protested. And he started a movement that history has come to know as the Protestant Reformation, and it literally changed the world. The world that you and I know, our country even, its existence, owes itself to what came out of the Protestant Reformation. And so it's good and right that we take this month to observe this special anniversary uh, and to talk about five core truths that were a part of that really, really expressed the heart of the Reformation. If you were to ask the Reformers what it was they stood for, what it was they fought for, it was these five solas, that word sola meaning alone, these five slogans that expressed what they were after. And so here they are. Scripture alone is our ultimate authority. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and all of this to the glory of God alone. Those are the five souls. And we're going to take each Sunday of this month and walk through those five solas. When my children were uh, a little bit younger and they started, we started building with Legos, one of the lessons that we learned very quickly was... You can't build very tall unless you build out, right? Unless you have a strong foundation, you cannot build a very solid structure. If you wanted to build a super tall skyscraper, you would think down deep into the earth. And so, likewise, I want you to think about these five truths as five solid pillars for building a, a good walk with, a good understanding of a good life with God. Uh, Living is driven by believing. What we believe is what we live out of. So why do I feel this way about myself? Why did I say that about her? Why do I think that about him? The answers to all of those questions comes out of what we believe in our hearts. What we believe to be true about God, what we believe to be true about ourselves, what we believe to be true about the world. And for every single one of us, those beliefs are a mix of true and false. And you could even summarize the Christian life in this way, that, that, that it is a battle to replace the lie with the truth. And so that's what we're going to aim to do as we walk through these five solas. So I want you to see that they're very... Practical. They didn't just have meaning in the uh, 1500s or the 1600s or the 1700s. They still have meaning for us today. There's still five pillars that we can build our lives on. And so what I what I hope actually actually I hope that the 
sermon, not just the sermons in this mini-series. You ought to be able... If we get through the sermon and... Right, I want you to be able to meet me in the gathering area and to be able to say, hey, you know, that was, that was fine. I managed to stay awake the whole time. But what in the world am I supposed to do with that? That's the question I want you to be able to answer at the end of these sermons, and actually at the end of every single sermon is, what in the world am I supposed to do? What am I, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do with that? So if you don't get that, you need to ask me. All right, so we have that agreement. Uh, and it may be that my answer is, hey, you know what? I don't know. Uh, I should have worked on it a whole lot more than I did. All right? So that's what we are after for this month. Let's read God's Word. 2 Timothy chapter 3 is where we'll be today. 2 Timothy chapter 3, it's towards the back end of your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, um, there should be one in the row in front of you. We're just going to read verse 16. That's, the one, that's where we're going to, to focus our time today. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. This is, uh, this is a man named Paul, one of the first missionary and church planners, writing to his apprentice, Timothy. And he says this, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Let's pray together. God, would you give us light? Would you help us to see? Would you help us to know you and your power? And would you do that, Lord, through your word? You have spoken to us, God, and you are faithful to reveal yourself to us. And so... I pray that you would bless the reading, the hearing, and now the preaching of your word, that it may be life for us, that we would be changed from the inside out. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you were to uh, back up just a little bit from that book of Second Timothy, and you were to go to the book of Acts, this is the book that chronicles what happens after Jesus rises from the dead and ascends into heaven. Acts tells us what his first followers did, how the church began to grow. And one of those people that you would meet would be the Apostle Paul. And what Paul did is he, he went around the Mediterranean Sea uh, and he established churches in these, various, uh, in these various cities around the Mediterranean Sea. And also, it was very common, it didn't happen all the time, but most often, Paul would get to a city, and the first place he would start would be in the Jewish synagogue, because Paul himself was a Jew, and these things that they were teaching about Jesus appealed to the Jewish scriptures, and so he would start there. And depending on his reception there would impact what he did next. So, Paul, uh, in Acts 17, Paul and his friends, they are in the city of Thessalonica, uh, and they are preaching the truth. Uh, they're preaching about Jesus in the synagogue. And they get into trouble. Because there is another group that doesn't like what Paul is saying. These are some unbelieving Jews. Jew, uh, Jewish people who don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And so they would actually follow Paul around. And they would cause trouble for him in most of the places that he went. And that happened in Thessalonica. And so Paul and his friends have to leave Thessalonica by night. And here's what we hear in... Acts 17, verse 10, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. 
Now, these Jews were more noble. What an interesting description. More noble usually, of course, means of high birth or of high status. In this case, they were they had better minds. They were noble minded. Maybe your translation says what was it that made them more noble than those in Thessalonica? They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And so Luke, who wrote this book, Acts, tells us that the reason the Bereans were better, were more noble, was because they received Paul with gladness. They were glad to hear what he was saying. They were glad to hear his message, his word. But then they took that message and they went back to their scriptures, which for them would have been the Old Testament, to verify that what Paul was saying was true. They grasped this first Reformation principle of sola scriptura, scripture alone. And here's what it means. The Bible is our ultimate authority, our ultimate source of authority, because it alone is God's word to us. The Bible is our ultimate source of authority because it is God's word to us. That's what we mean when we talk about scripture alone. That scripture has the first and last word in matters of faith and life. It doesn't necessarily have all the words. And we're going to talk about that. That there are other authorities. Obviously, scripture doesn't tell you how to drive a car. uh, Or lots of other things that are good to know for life. But it is our ultimate authority because it comes from God. It is God's word to us. So we're going to unpack it. In three points, the first point is this. We, humanity, are created for authority. That means we're created to respond to authority. We are not created to be authorities in and of ourselves. That's what, that's what I mean by that when I say we're created for authority. Every single person, whether you're a, a housewife or um, you know, a cashier at McDonald's or the CEO of a company, right, You are created to live under authority. That's true for everybody, right? That's the way that life works. And by that, I mean that we understand, even if you're you're not a Christian this morning, if you don't believe in the Bible, you at some point have to acknowledge that you are under authority, right? That you you are a creature. You are limited. You are finite, right? You can only be at one place at one time. Which means you can only know so much. Right? We are, we are finite. Which means we have to trust an authority beyond ourselves. No, no person in here is a man or woman unto himself or herself. We have to rely on some authority outside of us. Even if it's... So let's, say, let's take an example. Um, probably if you're a cashier... At McDonald's, you get this, right? You're under plenty of authority. In fact, you're probably a little bit mad about it. I understand, right? But if, if you're the CEO, if you own a company or you run your own company and you might think, well, I don't really have to answer to anybody. Well, yeah, you do, right? They're the laws of the land. You have to answer to those. Those will eventually get you in trouble if you don't, right? You have to answer to the laws of nature, right? Uh, you don't get to suspend gravity, 
uh, at your whim. All right. So that means at some point, whether you acknowledge that gravity uh, comes from God or not, means that you are subjecting yourself to outside authority. You are not your own internal reference point. This is how life works. And so when you talk with someone about religious, moral, social issues, usually controversial ones, the first question that you ought to ask is when, when you're in a conversation with somebody and they say, hmm, you know what, I don't, I don't agree with that. I don't believe that. The next question should be, okay, where do you get that from? Right, so if somebody articulates a viewpoint that you don't share, ask the question, where do you get that from? That's the authority question. Because it forces us to realize that we don't just come up with our own positions inside of our heads. Well, sometimes we do, right? And we need to be shown that there has to be an authority outside of us, right? Uh, but you, one of the first questions we have to ask is the question of authority, right? That foundational question so that we can even have meaningful dialogue on what are your thoughts about life, on what are your beliefs based. And so that's what, uh, that's what the Bereans did with Paul. Right. The very the very thing they were doing is they weren't they weren't taking Paul for granted. They were like, man, he's a good speaker. He clearly knows his Bible. And you know what? Sounds good to us. And that was and that was Luther's critique of his day of the church in his day. He would say, you know, the, the, the average guy goes goes to church. I listen to my priest and do what he tells me. And that's that. Right. Um, and how much could be said of Luther's critique in our own day? Right. I just go to church and I just do I just listen to Kevin and do whatever he tells me. Right. Um, now, I know a, that's not true. Um, and it's a good thing that it's not true. But that's not what the Bereans did. The Bereans listened to Paul. They were glad to hear him, but they checked him out. They checked him against their authority, against their scriptures Isaiah, this is an Old Testament thing too. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah in his day, um, the people didn't really want to listen to God. And so what they were doing was they, they said, well, let's, let's call up some sorcerers. Let's call up some mediums. Let's, let's listen to the, to the voices of the dead, right? That's what they wanted to do. And Isaiah in chapter 8, verse 20 says, to the teaching and to the testimony. Listen to the Lord. If you don't listen to the Lord, you'll have no dawn. There will be no future for you. There's no light for you. And so we want to be those people who look for our authority, right? Don't, so even if, you, even if you're not ready yet to settle on God or the Bible as your authority, at least begin asking yourself that question. Where am I getting these things from? What am I trusting? What are my foundational principles on which I'm sinking, in which, in, into which I'm sinking my roots? And if it's true that we need authority for living, and it's true that we want good and true authority, right? We want, because there is such a thing as authorities who don't know what they're talking about. And so we want good authority, true authority. Where would we find it? And that's our second point. God speaks that authority in the Bible. When Paul says all Scripture is breathed out by God, he is getting at this principle. It's worth saying God has always been a speaking God. God has always revealed himself through words. So it's... Uh, 
popularly attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. Um, I, we don't think he actually said it, but you'll hear people say, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. That sounds nice. It sounds good. Right. But the message of the Bible is just a little bit different. It's speak the gospel, use words. They're necessary. And if they weren't necessary, God wouldn't have used so many of them. God speak. God is a speaking God. He is there and he is not silent. That is uh, the title of Francis Schaeffer's book. He is not silent from the very beginning. His relationship with his creation and with humanity in particular particular has always been carried out with words. He spoke the world into existence. He spoke to Adam and Eve and told them how to live and what not to do so they wouldn't die. He called out to Abraham and made promises to him with words. He called out to Moses and revealed himself. Right? Uh, what, what changed Moses was not the fact that the burning bush was playing classical music. Okay? No, no God spoke to Moses out of the fire. God is a speaking God. And then, of course, ultimately, when, when Jesus comes on the scene, he comes speaking. That's the summary of his ministry. He is preaching and teaching that the kingdom is at hand. He tells people to repent and believe in his words. And so God is a speaking God. And that's why Paul tells Timothy, all scripture is God breathed. Paul actually invents a word here. He takes the word for God and he takes the word for breath and he mashes them together to make a new word to describe where Scripture comes from, what it is. And it is God breathing. It is God speaking. That's where we get our, our word for inspiration. The Bible is different from every other book because God has breathed. God breathes through it. God breathes in it. He reveals himself through it. Now, that doesn't mean that the authors of the Bible uh, lose their personalities. In fact, you can see if you just if you just read the Bible through how many how each book is influenced by the personality and circumstances, the backstories of the men uh, and maybe women. We're not sure. Right. But the people who wrote it. Okay, God is speaking through the human authors. Peter tells us in Second Peter 1, 20 and 21 that. All these people were carried along by the Holy Spirit as they spoke. God is breathing through his people. Now, there's a lot more that we could say about that. Uh, how do I know that I can trust it? How do I know? Right. I mean, that, that, that's let's just admit that's a big pill to swallow. Kevin, there's a lot of religious books out there written by a lot of really nice people. So why do you expect me to believe that this book written by men, admittedly, expressing men's personalities, is breathed out by God, actually comes from God himself. That it's, and because it comes from God, perfect, it has no errors in it, and it is useful for life. And that right there is, right, that, that's, whole books are written just on that right there, and I would love to talk more about it. One of the, just mention one, that's useful to think about is how remarkable it is that a book that spans so much time, thousands of years of history, um, at least, let's see, if I did my math correctly, um, we're approaching 100 different authors, uh, that one book could tell the same story, 
Right? If you want to, if you, if just one indicator that the Bible comes from one main author, God Himself, just wrap your mind around the fact that a book that took that long to develop and came from that many different hands and mouths still reflects one unified story. And that is God's, uh, God's salvation of the world. So that's just some food for thought there. We can certainly talk more about it. So let's, let's clarify a few things. When we say that Scripture alone is our ultimate authority, and that God speaks his authority in the Bible, it does not mean, as some have said, that there are not other forms of authority. Right? Some have, some have taken this principle or criticized this principle. This was actually how the, the Roman church criticized Luther. They said, oh, you're just telling people to go off and sit under a tree and read their Bibles, and it's just them and their Bibles, and that's it. And Luther would say, no, that's not it at all. In fact, the Bible even tells us that there are other authorities in life, but they're all subjected underneath the rule of Scripture. And so uh, the Scriptures, for instance, tell people to submit to the elders of the church, right? But those elders themselves are submitted to the Word. And so Scripture alone does not mean we don't have to listen to other people. Scripture alone does not mean that we don't have things to learn from science, from history, uh, Good advice from unchristian people. All of those things can have an authoritative voice in our lives, uh, but they are subject to Scripture. But what Scripture alone does mean is that we give the Bible sole, ultimate authority over faith and life. That means Scripture is the lens through which we look at everything Else, every other area of life. It means it's the lens by which we evaluate good advice, scientific research, law, morality, right? All with God's word and the scriptures. Uh, so God has given authority to pastors and elders in the church, but that doesn't mean you have to take their word for it. You go to the scriptures. And that was, and that was Luther's beef, right? In Roman Catholic teaching, the scriptures were subjected to church tradition and the word of the Pope and his council of bishops. And so they had what they called a three-legged stool of authority. And the, the, the gist being that Scripture could not be interpreted and understood rightly by the common man, and so you needed the church's help to do that. And what ended up happening is the church then came over the Bible. And Luther and the Reformer said, no, 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 no. The church stands underneath the scriptures, right? Because the scriptures are God's voice. And so the scriptures make the church, not the church making the scriptures. The preacher doesn't manipulate or change the word, or he shouldn't. He should be governed and led by it. But on the opposite end, it also means this. Scripture alone means this, that that my personal experiences, my opinions, my beliefs, visions, dreams, imagination, etc., those also must be subjected to the Scriptures. So on on both ends of the spectrum, whether you're inclined to give the church too much authority or you're inclined to give no authority whatsoever to the church, right, Um, and and to your own experience, that's kind of where we are in this cultural moment. Scripture Scripture reigns over both. And again, the reason we hold these things is not because of the Bible itself, but because of the God who speaks in the Bible. And that brings us to the last point, that God, what God speaks in the Bible, he speaks for us. It is good for us, right? Paul says back in 2 Timothy 
3. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable, useful, beneficial. That means listening to and knowing and following God's voice in Scripture is good for us. That if we want health, if we want wholeness, if we want life, then this is the fountain we come to. And we want, and we want to reject anybody who would stop up the fountain. In fact, that's what the reformers said. They used another Latin phrase, ad fontes, right? They wanted to go back to the fountain. And this is it. This is the fountain right here. This is where we see life. So, what does that mean for us? 2017 Grace Fellowship Church, Clanton, Alabama. What does it look like to apply Scripture alone? We've already got some indicators there. If, if Scripture isn't the lens, if the Bible's not the lens through which you view the other areas of your life, take, take, a, take an inventory very quickly. Review the different spheres of your life and ask, have I dropped the lens of the Bible over these? Or am I ignoring God's word in this area of my life? Right? That's a, that's a convicting self-inventory, right? Because inevitably we find something that we're not, we're not applying, we're not taking the, the word for. But then along with that, a second application would be this. Let's be the kind of people who feed on the scriptures for life. Uh, at, the, at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus is tempted by Satan in the wilderness for 40 days. He, uh, he goes without food. He fasts for 40 days. And so the first temptation that Satan gives him, and he says, use your power to turn these stones into bread. Right? Your suffering can be ended right now. You've got the power. Just take those stones and turn them into bread. And Jesus responds with the word from Deuteronomy. And he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Christian, is that how you see your life? Is that how you satisfy your soul? Do you feed on the word? Do you look for bread in the word? Are you even willing to forego physical bread to get that spiritual bread? That is what, that is what we ought to do. Let's feed on the Bible. Let's feed on Scripture alone. Psalm 1 Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Law being a synonymous term for the word. Blessed is the man or woman whose delight is in the law of the Lord. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. Yields his fruit in its season. The wicked are not so. They are like chaff blown about by the wind. And so do I, I don't want to be a tumbleweed, Right? I don't want to be blown about like, a, like dried up weeds. I want to be a tree with roots down deep in the water. I want to get my nourishment and life from the scriptures. That's what they're there for. That's what happens. That's what happens when God speaks. Have you thought about that? When God speaks, he creates life. That's what he did at creation. When he speaks to Abraham, he draws him out of his idolatry and into life with God. When he speaks to Israel at Mount Sinai, it's absolutely terrifying. But the law that he gives them is life. Don't avoid, don't 
ignore, don't reject the life that is available to you in the Scriptures. When God speaks, it is life and nourishment for our souls. And let's make it our ambition to sit down at this table and keep eating. Then the last point, uh, the last application really is this. What would you say the Bible is exactly? What exactly is the Bible? Remember in the 80s, and probably came before that, but one, one common way to answer that was basic instructions before leaving earth. Sort of. And if you, and if you were to ask, if you were to just take an uh, un- informal poll of non-Christians and Christians, and you ask them that question, what is the Bible exactly? I'm guessing that the answer would be roughly the same. They would say, hmm, the Bible is just a, is a book of instructions that tell us how to live or, or how to love people or how to be like Jesus. That's the Bible. And while the Bible has instructions in it, that's not really all that the Bible is. The Bible is first and foremost a story, not an instruction book. Look back at 2 Timothy 3, 15. Paul tells Timothy how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Make you wise for salvation. Paul says to Timothy that the greatest thing that happens in the Bible... What it is most intended for is to make you wise for salvation. Help you to know how to be free from your sin. How to be in right relationship with God. And that's not a relationship that you can fix. You see, Scripture alone is what makes one wise for salvation. It means without the Bible, you and I won't know the most important thing of all. How to be saved from sin. Scripture alone tells how humans have rejected God and his authority and have plunged the world into sin, evil, pain, and darkness. Scripture alone tells us that in the midst of that rebellion, God appears in the flesh. And when he appears, he teaches and he amazes people because he teaches with authority. After all, he's God. He wrote the book. But he also scandalizes people because he submits to authority because he's human. And he's the only human who's ever been able to submit to authority perfectly. And then scripture alone tells us that He follows that authority all the way to his death, all the way to the grave. And then scripture alone proves his authority when he rises from the dead and conquers death and then offers eternal life to everyone who believes in him. You can learn lots of things from lots of different people. There are many authorities that are good to listen to. They'll help you uh, be better at your work, be a better spouse, be a better parent, be a better person, tell you how the world works. But only one book 
contains good news. And that's Scripture alone. And if you don't have Scripture alone, you lose the Gospel. And if you lose the Gospel, you lose everything. Let's pray. Father in heaven, oh, that we would be a people of the book, people so committed to, people so energized by, so fueled by what you have said in your word, that we would be transformed. God, that we would be like the good soil that Jesus talks about. That, uh, that we wouldn't be the hard soil that rejects the word. That we wouldn't be rocky or thorny soil uh, that chokes the word out. But Lord, that we would be good soil, good hearers of your word. And that we would bear fruit. Oh Lord, that we would believe the good news. The good news contained in scripture alone. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.